Welcome to the Conditional Release Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crims, and con artists. We don't like these people on the shows. We believe the best way to expose them is to hold them up to a harsh light, point our index fingers in their general direction, and mock them mercilessly, take them down a peg or two until they cease to exist in any other form than the shit on our shoes. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and today we are finally naming the number one of Jack's greatest shit. Yes. Who is it? Who is it? Who? What, like, what man could be more murderous than Chris Flannery, Stan Smith? Who? Let's face it, they had pretty full schedules when it came to yeah, killing people. Big red circles around their calendars. Busy, because mm. murder is busy work. Mm. You know, there's a lot involved. So, who really filled the diary when it came to casual, thoughtless, and self-interested murder? Let's let's find out. And we'll name him shortly, destroying once and for all any faith you might have foolishly had in the criminal justice system. And we will, I promise. No more delays. Well, just one more because we have to get right to this. We have to hold you in suspense for just a minute or two or maybe 12 or 20 before we get to that. Because now it's time for the Conditional Release Program's Weekly News. It's got a new segment and everything. There was all manner of politicised babble in the wake of the government's vaccine announcement last Thursday, April 8. Much of it of the opportunistic look-through-the-rearview mirror type. Uh, Scott Morrison and Health Minister Greg Hunt have acted on advice and recommended that those under 50 should opt for vaccines, at this stage the Pfizer vaccine in Australia, but others are coming, rather than the AstraZeneca vaccine due to emerging data that uh, younger members of the community, particularly in their 20s, faced a heightened but still extremely low risk of blood clotting and thrombotic episodes. Q sound and fury. It was said the Morrison government had stuffed up the rollout. Uh, the delays would curtail Australia's economic recovery. The country would remain locked away with international travel and option only for a lucky few. Most of all, it was said the government had put too many eggs in the AstraZeneca basket. Well, possibly, but these decisions are a damn sight harder to make with foresight rather than in hindsight. Yeah, completely agree. Mostly the noise hid one salient fact. The government had only done as it should and as indeed what it always said it yes. would do and should do, mm. listen to expert advice. In this instance, provided by the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation, or ATAGI, which I've never Atagi, heard of. yes. And, uh, Experts. People smarter than I am, both of us probably combined. And, of course, act accordingly yes. and without fear, favour, or partisan bullshit because it was the right decision. It was a good decision. Yeah. I liked it at the time. Mm. Oxford University, fuck yeah. You know, it was based on evidence. It was based on scientific knowledge and a bit of a punt. And that's what we want, you know, mm. like – be decisive, get shit done, and do it in a smart and measured kind of way. I love, I absolutely love a chance to punch Scott Morrison and his shitty government in the nuts. <laughs> if I have the chance, I will square my fist up and absolutely thrash their bollocks. But this just isn't no. the time. They had a, they had a go. It was based on expert knowledge. I think this is a bullshit partisan point. Yeah. For all the caution, the actuarial analysis remains heavily stacked in favour of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Adam Finn is a professor of paediatrics at the University of Bristol and head of the Bristol Children's Vaccine Centre. He told the BBC Breakfast Show third, on, on the same day, Thursday, 
8th of April, both of the vaccines, AstraZeneca and Pfizer in the UK, are highly effective and the risks of getting sick or dying of COVID for all the people currently being offered first or second doses are far and away greater than any small theoretical risk that may exist relating to these cases, which are extremely rare. They are very rare. Mm. I mean, like a person in their mid-20s faces the likelihood of a rare thrombotic event, according to who you ask, between, say, 1 in 250,000 and 1 in a million. So long odds. The chances of a severe adverse reaction from receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine are around the same as a kind of like, it's not like a breakfast table calamity, <laughs> like a weird and unlikely event where maybe your sister's chowing down some grapefruit on some weird fad diet. Flings across the fork, table. Yeah. Bit of pulp lands in your eye. Wow. Oh, you're ah, blinded. Ugh. You're staggering around the house <laughs> and you wind up treading on an turned on chainsaw eventually falling down on the spinning blades and having your entire insides churned into bike chain mush and then being eaten by the dog yeah which i mean look that was a bit dramatic but to be fair jack things like that do happen mathematically and a lot more than one would think possibly more likely than having a blood clot from a vaccine mathematically just say mathematically all of that is possible and in terms of probabilities we are talking somewhere between shark bite and being hit by a meteorite while wandering down pit collins liverpool queen streets or even st george's terrace but obviously not run them all which i maintain is the most dangerous place on earth Fair. The fact remains, the chance of getting ill or worse from COVID far outweigh any health problem that might arise from the AstraZeneca vaccine. People of all age groups should consider the available options in discussion with their medical practitioners. In Australia, it's well to remember we've gone weeks and sometimes months with our community transmission. The national COVID-19 death toll stands at 909, the last of which was a joint UK Papua New Guinea National, who was airlifted to Brisbane on March 28 from PNG. It was the first COVID-19-related fatality recorded in Queensland in more than a year. It could yeah. be said some of these nations or conglomerates uh, uh, that who have been more successful in their vaccine rollouts, and that might be right, but then they had to be because their populations, especially at the upper age levels, were dying in such number and their economies yep. were suffering from long lockdowns that, for the most part, continue to this day. Yep. It is possible vaccine hesitancy, rather than the anti-vaccine nonsense we, we draw attention to, will grow yep. in the wake of the government's announcement. But rather than a blow to public confidence, it should give Australians more faith in the vaccine rollout. What we have seen in the last 24 hours is an evidence-based, conservative, risk-averse approach to a mass vaccination process, the likes of which the, the world and this country has never seen. Yep, an abundance of caution. It's good to take a risk-averse approach. Yes. Uh, although I do know someone who doesn't have a risk-averse approach to things. Um, that's all, Matty Gates! Gatesy! As we mentioned last week, Matt Gates is in the absolute shit for being a sex pest that lacks him young. Oh, so. Oh, mate, I just love what he represents. Uh, the criminal charges being sought against him regard child sex trafficking, Ooh. which sounds very heinous. Mm. It's a huge issue for the QAnon community. They save the it. children. Mm. They fucking love it. It's a bee in their bonnet. <laughs> of course, not here. And as he paid for a 17-year-old oh, oh. girl to travel across straight lines for nefarious purposes, yeah, he is 
Absolutely in the category. You are textbook definition. I'm sorry, <laughs> well, you traffic kids. Allegedly at this point. But allegedly, yeah. allegedly. Allegedly, yes. Over the past week, Gatesy has been in full denial mode and the QAnon community is lapping it up. Uh, Trump yeah. gave some half-assed, Donald Trump gave some half-assed defence, reminding his cult that Gatesy has denied all claims as if a serial sex pest and teenage beauty pageant pickup artist in Donald Trump was a good character reference. Claims yeah. that Gatesy was being extorted for $25 million by some shady characters has turned out to be some kind of bizarre plot to free an FBI agent held prisoner in, in Iran who probably doesn't exist or if he ever did, doesn't exist anymore. And while yes. this is almost certainly bullshit, it's a spectacular storyline and QAnon types just, mm, mm, they're just fucking getting it down up. Swallowing it. Yeah, oh. yeah. They're still still on the sugar syrup. Still, uh, still living nom, in a fucking nom, spy nom, thriller. Nom. So essentially, the story goes, and I've ripped this off a bunch of different news outlets. So I'm hoping I get this right. Two men, David McGee, former prosecutor for the DOJ, basically a lawyer, really, and Bob Kent, a former Air Force intelligence officer. I don't know what that really means, but apparently he knows stuff about planes. Uh, but just kidding. So they're trying to get $25 million from Gates in exchange for their silence, yeah. which they plan to exchange then for the jailed FBI agent in Iran. This is a whole fucking cake thing. So apparently $25 million is how much it costs to free a dude from Iranian jail. I don't know it's going bond rate or something like, you know. Bit of here that's, and that's, there. Throw around a yeah, bit of money to the jailers. Anything can happen. And that's what it sounds like. I've got no fucking idea. Mm. But that that that, uh, that 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 thing of not knowing, I think it helps the story. So another thing to note is that Matt isn't actually the cashed up one. In a classic move, it's his dad <laughs> who's meant to pay the bounty. <laughs> dad, can I have $25 million? I'm being blackmailed. Oh, but dad, I want to be president. Mm. I mean, this story has more holes in it than fucking Swiss cheese, but it has all the cool shit the QAnons love. They're so easy to pander to because the FBI are famously deep state operatives until they're not and then they love them. And then the target audience, of course, these idiots have no fucking idea how Iran works. <laughs> so, of course, it's logical that you could just give them $25 million and get a prisoner. I mean, like it's, you know, it's a quid yeah. pro quo, right? Mm. Or the $25 million is going to get some crack team to like bail them out with like, well, you know, machine guns. Like what? It's just, it's just dumb. They did try that during the Carter. They did, they did try that during the Carter they administration, did. and they it did. didn't work very well. No, what worked well is illegally giving weapons that, yeah. to the regime. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. yeah. <laughs> Good Oliver North, what a legend! Yeah, yeah look that up; it's fun. It's um, too. Yeah, well, you know, and probably we're responsible for the passing away of many other people thanks to giving those weapons. But that's right. Hardcore, hardcore um, unit. <laughs> You don't make friends in war. So, uh, <laughs> look, honestly, I actually quite enjoy this whole storyline. It gives me a real kick. Uh, it's really silly. So, it turns out this Levinson guy is probably dead. I think he does exist, but honestly, like, Did, I don't yeah. really know. Mm, did exist. Yeah, possibly. you know, on the astral plane. Maybe he'll be the next Tales of the Crypt. And as usual, with any conspiracy, there's a kernel of truth in it. Bob Kent, the intelligence guy, actually did ask Gates' dad for the money to save Levinson from Iran. Mm-hmm. So to clarify this mess, it looks like a couple of dudes who think Levinson's alive need $25 million for some weird fucking reason to get him out of Iranian jail. Or something. They asked Gates' dad for the money, Mm -hmm. and now little Maddie is claiming this is actually an extortion bid due to his recent pants-related problems. It's like he thought this up while taking a shit. He's like, I know what I can say. (laughs) Honey, pass me my phone. Like, what? It's just like, it just doesn't, nothing about this actually checks out. Well, so Gates- Nothing's really explaining the pedophilia right now. 
No, 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 no. But we've got all sorts of cool shit to yeah, distract ourselves right. with. It's a look over there. How so. fun. So Gates tweeted that he was a cancelled uh, man and a wanted mm. man by the deep oh, state, oh. which, yeah, I mean, like, they love to seeing the word deep state. Like, <laughs> that just gets them so hard. So this doubles down really hard on the whole shady FBI agent rescue story because it's the deep state, you know, they're the pedos. Oh, yeah. All the bloodlust about murdering pedophiles only works if they don't agree with you politically. And that's proven by this fucking ridiculous situation we're in. Now, as usual, there's a gish gallop of bullshit, a gish gallop being a torrent of a nonsense torrent of that's just, yes. just completely unintelligible and who knows what's true and what's not anymore, but it's all pointing to how fucking innocent he is. Now, <laughs> apparently, according to a few randoms on the internet, this is all a cover for Gates working with the FBI to uncover this extortion racket, which seems unlikely. Mm-hmm. Uh He's also apparently used, being used as a smokescreen uh, in the media to distract us from what Ghislaine Maxwell is about to reveal, which will be something that QAnons really want to hear, like Hillary Clinton does eat babies or their political enemies are all <laughs> pedophiles and not that Donald Trump actually spent a lot of fucking time on Epstein Island. Oh, oh, oh did I say that? No, never. Yes, as usual, the QAnon universe will pick and choose their own truth because it's not about reality, it's about the narrative. And the narrative says Gatesy is one of theirs, good versus yep. evil, and he is on the good side. Yep, that's it. And it's that black and white. It's simple as fuck. And at the end of the day, this fucking lunatic has allegedly been caught playing silly buggers with high school kids Uh and has made up an elaborate spy thriller story to get away with it. And the sad thing is people on the right side of politics fucking believe it. it. They make bitch videos out of it. It's fucking embarrassing. So as we said last week, it is not about saving the kids. QAnon does not give a fuck about children. It is about smearing your political enemies. And speaking of QAnon, the documentary series on HBO, Q Into the Storm, is well and truly out to to the public in full. And what a fucking cracking piece of work it is too. So good. Documentary filmmaker Colin Hoback teamed up with uh, Adam McKay, who directed The Big Short, uh, and, and to make an incredible documentary on the genesis of QAnon, uh, Hoback uh, self-funded the whole damn thing from the start and flew around the world chasing leads on who was Q and did it before anyone really gave a shit about it. And this gave yeah. Hoback some amazing access to key players who were a lot more willing to open their mouths in a time where Q was a fun LARP on an edgy message board. Yeah, like the series really is something special. It's like the way he managed to get access to key players like the Watkins, mm. you know, the the, the the dad and the son. People like Paul Ferber, who is widely believed to be the first incarnation of Q. It's just, it's incredible. It's fucking mind-blowing. This guy flew to South Africa to interview Ferber on his own dime before anyone yeah. gave a shit about any of this. Yeah, that's extraordinary. I mean, too. like not anyone, but it wasn't a thing. And like Hoback really gets in there. Yeah. Like the Watkins, Ron and Jim, love playing up oh, the yeah. cameras. So they managed to say a whole bunch of really revealing shit as they bumble through the film. Mm. I mean, they really are misfits and fuck-ups of the highest degree. Fred Brennan, founder of 8chan and now absolute crusader against the very existence of 8chan 8coon, has a huge part in the documentary. And the feud between the Watkins and Brennan adds a thrilling plot line through the series. It's a really, it's it's yeah. action film shit. We don't want to give too much away right now. Um, I watched it in... One six 
six and a half hour sit, setting, That's sitting impressive. there, you know, that, and just just lapped it up. But That's we impressive. might discuss this in a few weeks uh, when yeah. uh, our listeners, uh, you've all had a bit of time to watch it. Until then, no spoilers. If you want to catch a doco in Australia, I think Joel got a bit too much away, to be honest. Aww. If you want to catch a doco in Australia, left. you can stream it on Foxtel or Binge. Watch the whole yeah. thing maybe over a few days, but absolutely watch it to the end. The end of this series ties the whole thing up very, very nicely. Yeah, that last episode blew my fucking mind. Mm. If you've been listening to the podcast, seeing a lot of these characters in action will give you a good insight into what the fuck we've been talking about over all these episodes. If you're a bit of a cure researcher nerd type, you will love this thing because you'll know all the characters, you'll know all the influences and the wankers involved. But if you're not really deeply into the QAnon mangrove, the characters and spot twists along the way will still oh, keep yeah. you engaged because the, the film itself, the, the series itself, just it really it ties together. It's a great piece yes, of work. Yes, must watch uh, and get onto it, listeners. So we will blow the whole thing open in a few weeks when you've had plenty of time to watch it. And now Prince Philip in this week's Tales, Tales to, to the, the Crypt. We wave goodbye to Prince Philip, dead once again at age 99. Yes, uh, actually, uh, Prince Philip's been dead for many, many years, uh, but uh, has been revived and kept alive by regular injections of chimp fetuses. Yeah. That's, pro- that's probably not true. The last picture <laughs> of the Duke of Edinburgh alive, terrified little children with parents having to explain that the bad man had been dead for some time, buried, disinterred three weeks later, and then was being sent to a farm, a lovely farm, with a, with that body dog had to go. Yes. Remember, kids, that farm? Gone to that farm that is just so far away we can't visit it. Aww. Now, the truth is, Prince, Prince Philip was an extraordinary man who managed in part to shake off what is arguably the weirdest gene pool in Europe. It must be said, his World War II service, which saw him in action, a rarity uh, for members of the House of Windsor, deserves plenty of credit. Yeah. But Philip was not a Greek. Everyone says Phil the Greek, but he's not a Greek, although he was born in Athens. He was a member of the House of Schleswig-Holstein-Sonderburg-Glücksburg, a northern German-Danish family of aristocrats associated with the Habsburgs, Holy Roman Empire, who were dispatched to Greece, known then as the Hellenes, to restore a bit of order in the mid-19th century. That's the way it was in those days when nationalism was clashing with feudalism in its death throes. The Schleswig-Holstein-Sonderburg-Glücksburgs sent themselves up in Tatoy Palace, a vast regal edifice on the outskirts of of, uh, Athens, and pronounced themselves kings of the joint for about 50 years. There, these chinless wonders of inbreeding remained for 50 years until they got the ass. Philip's great-great-uncle, Kill. King, sorry, King Alexander of the Hellenes <laughs> died after being bitten by a poisoned monkey. Strange. His father had one of the largest private collections of pornography in all Europe. The old man uh, brushed uh, Philip and all uh, all of Philip's siblings, lived on the French Riviera on a boat with his second wife and all his porn. Sweet. Quite a lot of it. Yeah. Anyway, Philip's mum used to host dinner parties at Buck Palace many, many years later when uh, after uh, Philip had married Elizabeth and she used to host dinner parties at Buck Palace with a place set for Jesus. Oh, wow. She dressed in a nun's habit but was not a nun. Weird. And was known to have many conversations with invisible Jesus, whether 
whether he was there at the dinner parties or not. Lots of talking with Invisible Jesus from old Philip's mum. The tales from workers at Buck Palace invariably described her as a lovely old woman. And while I'm sure there's no great harm in her, she was officially as mad as a cut snake. Her son, Philip, was remarkably well-behaved, all things considered. A bit Mm -hmm. of casual racism here and there, but really with the thin blood of the Schleswig-Holstein-Sonderberg-Luxburgs coursing through his veins, it could have been much, much worse. (laughs) And year to year, Philip, you magnificent weirdo. What a great way of looking at it. So that is our newest segment, although it may not be regular because it is, it does, of course, rely on people dying. So fingers with any crossed. luck, fingers we'll see crossed, a little bit listeners. of that coming in the next weeks, you know, and we'll bring it to you in Tales to the, the Crypt. And speaking of death, here's a bloke that really liked to dish it out. He got a real mm. kick out of it, and you've been mm. waiting patiently to find out who he is. No groans, kids. This guy is truly a bastard of the highest order. We yeah. bring to you the final chapter of The Greatest Shit Criminal Countdown. And so we've come to this, listeners. We've come to the last in our greatest shits that I've known. Our greatest mm. and most ugliest criminals uh, this uh, country has seen, and we are at the number one vacant position. And let me fill that vacancy right now with the name Roger Caleb Rogerson. Ooh. The nastiest piece of work I've ever met. Uh, I had four meetings with Rogerson. I got on the turps with him a couple of times. And this is the point I wanted to make, that he was... When you when you met him, actually good company, you know he'd yeah. make you laugh, and it was Charming. only just every now and then when you'd see his mask slip, and it would quickly go back, yeah. uh, and then that's when you realise you're in the company of a violent psychopath. Uh, that if push came to shove, would kill you there and then, and then run away yeah. to make up his own alibi. You know. But for also for, for a thousand bucks. Yeah, look, uh, 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 many listeners will know him through the series Blue Murder, a fantastic yeah. ABC series made Great. many years ago now, uh, played by Richard Roxburgh. And uh, yeah. and uh, before I interviewed him for the very first time, I asked Roger what he thought of his portrayal by Roxburgh, and he was very pleased with it, generally speaking, except. He became very angry, well, frustrated and sort of angry, that that, he, that Richard Roxburgh, as Roger Rogerson in Blue Murder, smoked cigarettes. And he was oh. really upset that he'd been portrayed as a man who smoked cigarettes. He'd never, he said, smoked a cigarette in his life. That was the only, yeah. scene, that was the only thing he seemed to be bothered not by. Not the murder? Not, not the those crime? murders that he was... No. Uh, Put in the frame That's for fine. and the whole yep. series being called Blue, other, otherwise uh, Police Murderer, uh, yeah. he wasn't so bothered about it. But smoking, right out. Draw the line. Yeah, that's right. So, smoking kills, you know, Jack. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't terribly happy about it, about that, but just that, you know, which is a strange thing it when really you think is. about it. Uh, <laughs> Roger Rogerson joined the New South Wales Police Force in 1959, aged 18. 
Rising through the ranks, he won 12 commendation awards and worked on some of Australia's biggest cases of the 1960s and 1970s before his well-documented slide into infamy. Now, the sorts of people he was knocking around with as a very young copper uh, were corrupt police officers, uh, yeah. and and the most the king of them all was Ray Cal- Ray Kelly, known as Machine Gun Kelly. So Rogerson was introduced to the criminal networks of Sydney through Kelly. Uh, he developed his network of informers through Kelly, and Kelly was a man who allowed gangland murders to occur on his watch without ever doing anything about them. So Rogerson was being taught. Basically, killing was okay. Um, His first experience of killing came in 1976 at the central coast town of Avoca where he and other officers rained gunfire on a house holding a sort of very violent human being involved in a hostage seat, a very violent criminal by the name of Philip Weston. Um, Now, no one can really say who fired the fatal shot, but Rogerson put his hand straight up. I did it. And um, according to Australia's uh, newspapers, he later joked that the only way to identify Weston's bullet-ridden body was by his ingrown toenails. So they've just let Rip. Oh. Rogerson's put the hand up and gone, I did it, I did it, I did the killing. <laughs> A few months later, and people will know this from Blue Murder, Rogerson and colleagues shot Sydney bank robber Butchie Burns in his getaway car. And they were all sort of, the cops were all lined up there waiting for Burns and his uh, associates to arrive. And the car was surrounded by police with Rogerson firing a shotgun into it. And he shot Butchie Burns dead. Uh, there was no doubt this time that the lethal shot had been fired by Rogerson, who quipped later that Burns fell out of the car dead as a doornail. Isn't that nice, Roger? Uh, He's loving it, isn't he? Look, I did hear about that particular episode that Rogerson and Tease argued at the scene after Burns was lying dead in front of them, disputing who had fired the fatal shot. Now, that's it is a disputed uh, event. I've heard from yeah. other police officers who, who, were, who were present at the time who said, no, 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 that didn't happen. But a very good source tells me that Tease and Roger got into a heated argument over who had fired the fatal shot into Butchie Burns and that basically they were after medals, that they, were, that yeah. they wanted medals and acclaim and notoriety and fame. And Roger, I guess, thought it was going to come his way again uh, after his most high-profile police killing, the shooting of heroin dealer and armed robber Warren Lanfranchi uh, at uh, Danga Place in Chippendale. Yeah. I think there's a little plaque there um, that's been erected there. According to Lanfranchi's girlfriend, Sally Ann Huckstep, who also ended up murdered, uh, Lanfranchi was unarmed and carrying 10000 Australian dollars, bribe money, uh, and money which was never found. Uh, an inquest heard, a coronial inquest heard, Rogerson fatally shot Lanfranchi while trying to effect an arrest, but Bullshit. failed to find it was done in self-defence. What we know of that murder or that killing was that uh, uh, a number of witnesses um, heard two shots fired. Uh, nine seconds apart. So one shot into the chest of Lanfranchi and the other one into the head, and that's the coup de grace shot. Number of police there, none of them gave evidence in the inquest, and Nettie Smith, who was was an armed robber and heroin dealer, 
uh, an associate of Rogerson's came forward to uh, extend sort of dubious evidence that Lev Franchi might have been armed. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but and indeed, a, a, an old gun was found by his body, but that was almost certainly not owned by Lev Franchi. In fact, the gun could not have worked. Um, and so that was basically a New South Wales police job. They just throw the throw the weapon into the gutter and yeah. say, "Look, that's what he put him in." But here his we, girlfriend said she had the gun. Yeah, well, it was it was Smith's job to to disarm Lanfranchi before he met Rogerson. Lanfranchi was extremely nervous, according to Sally Ann Huckstep, and uh, and he, he sort of knew that he was in a lot of trouble. He'd been involved yeah. in. Waving a gun, in fact, firing a firing a um, firing a shot at a highway patrol motorcycle officer, um, yeah. and Franchi, and uh, and then basically Rogerson intervened and and uh, was going to kill him. Uh, that's you the don't way, shoot that's, a cop. That's the way it went. Yeah, don't You're shoot. Not a allowed cop. to shoot a cop. That's the one it's a, rule. It's, it's a but here rule. he is. He's barely turned forty, and Roger Rogerson's been involved in three killings uh, know as of. a police officer and it turns out he was involved in a lot more. He made his bones really in the breaking squads, breaking squad, which is, you know, a very sort of high-end special squad involved in safe crackings, um, breaking and type uh, major cr- criminal offences and the armed robbery squad. Yeah. Um, uh, we mentioned Chris... Flannery in uh, an episode two or two episodes ago, I think uh, Chris definitely made our top five. In 1982, Chris Flannery was extradited to New South Wales. He was arrested as he left the Victoria Supreme Court after being acquitted of the murder of businessman Roger Wilson, which he almost certainly did. It was a very long-running trial. One uh, um, witness who was going to give Crown evidence did not turn up and uh, continues to be uh, appearing on uh, Australia's missing persons lists. It was uh, a prostitute by the name of Deborah Bounty that almost certainly would have put Flannery away, but he was extradited on that. And as he leaves the Supreme Court after a very, very long trial, he's taken into custody by New South Wales homicide detective Bill Duff. Uh, Flannery's extradited New South Wales in charge of the murder of Ray Loxley, a Sydney-based standover man who'd been in uh, been down in Melbourne attempting to extort illegal brothels for money. Loxley mm. ended up dead. His body dumped in Menai in Sydney southwest in 1979. So he gets Flannery gets locked up for this, but he gets bail. You know, this is this is what? one of the things he gets. He gets bail on murder with, okay. with a fairly long and illustrious or, or disgraceful uh, criminal record to date. He gets 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 bail, and and Jeez. this. Uh, uh, and this tells us exactly, I mean, when we look at the career of Roger Rogerson, it's one of those you can't see the wood for the for all the trees. You know, it, it's yeah. one of those things that people, you know, we know about Blue Murder and we know about all, all of the uh, offences he was involved in, including drug trafficking and so forth. But what we seem to be missing here, and it's very clear to me that Roger Rogerson, in cahoots with Flannery, or using Flannery as as at least one of his uh, one of his uh, foot soldiers, that, that Roger Rogerson was involved in a murder for hire business as a police officer in the nineteen eighties, uh, yeah. and this led to uh, the nineteen eighty four shooting of Michael Drury, who's an undercover New South Wales police detective, a, a very good cop. Uh, 
He'd been involved in a drug smuggling case as, a, as an undercover detective in Melbourne. He was known as the Melbourne Job, where a heroin dealer, Alan Tex Williams, was arrested for supplying Drury with heroin. And Williams is a painter and docker who had been jailed for drug offences previously. Two of the informants, two of Drury's informants in, in, in the Melbourne Job, were found dead. One from a hot shot. The, the other shot dead and dumped in the bush in central Victoria. Uh, Williams on is on bail. He f- he flees, um, but not before Rogerson approaches Drury uh, with a bribe of $40,000 to change his evidence, evidence that Drury <coughs> had given in a committal hearing which uh, identified Alan Williams as the drug trafficker. Ah. And what had happened was Williams had met with Flannery, who was a, an associate of his, and Rogerson in a restaurant in Sydney, and they discussed firstly bribing him. That didn't work. And then oh, famously in Blue Murder, Flannery, Gary Sweet, as, as Flannery says, I know what I'd do, I'd just kill him. And so yeah. for $100,000, Alan Williams agrees to be involved in a conspiracy to murder Michael Drury. $50,000 to Flannery, $50,000 to Rogerson. Uh, and uh, right, uh, and uh, Mick Drury is shot um, while he's doing the dishes in his kitchen Jeez. at home. He's shot twice with a .357, with, with two .357 uh, hollow point rounds. One enters his chest. The other, well, they both enter his chest. A second round actually flicks the plastic the plastic tab on on the um, on, on the blinds in the kitchen and probably saved his life he's horrifically injured uh, um, but uh, when he's being dragged away into ICU and to and, and into surgery he's asked about who did this what this what's this about and he he only has enough breath to say the Melbourne job yeah. He's not believed, by the way, which is a disgraceful thing. And there was, um, uh, after he begins to recover, Mick Drury talks about the bribery offer that he'd received. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and Rogerson's ultimately charged with offer bribe, but is acquitted. Um, and it was really just Drury's word against Rogerson. And Rogerson is an impeccable witness in the in the in the witness box he is yeah. very very believable to juries i mean this is part of that psychopathy that yeah. really compelling uh way of 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 dealing with people but manipulating them as well and so yeah. he gets off the bribery now williams uh he flees williams flees uh, melbourne and makes his way to Darwin, actually, and that's where he's actually arrested in, in uh, by, by New South Wales police. Um, uh, but no one knows he's gone, and uh, <clears throat> people people who wish him ill, including groups associated with Roger Rogerson, uh, are scouting his houses, is scouting his the places where he normally stays, and <clears throat> and in that way he'd agreed to meet his brother-in-law. Uh, at his home in Lower Plenty, a northern suburb of Melbourne. Um, but he'd forgotten all about it, Williams. And um, uh, this is before he's fled to, to Darwin, by the way. He's forgotten all about the meeting. And so uh, his brother-in-law, Lindsay Simpson, is a complete clean skin. He was a 
tradey, you know, just he turned up there with Simpson had turned up at William's home with his wife and I think two-year-old daughter and is approached by a fellow by the name of Roy uh, Pollitt, Red Rat Pollitt, who forces him onto the ground and uh, Pollitt says, you know, Pollitt says to him, just get down on the ground, Williams, get down on the ground. <laughs> Lindsay Simpson says, my name's not not Williams and he, and he shot, shoots him in the head anyway, shoots him twice in the head. And that was, we know for a fact, was a job done for Mr. Death, Dennis Allen, the uh, sort of patriarch of the Pettengill clan. And Pollock was paid $5,000 by Dennis Allen in counterfeit notes. We know that too because when Pollock was arrested for the murder, the counterfeit notes were in his possession. Um, So Williams flees, Flannery disappears you start putting two and two together. But Williams is Williams is, Williams comes forward and agrees to plead guilty to conspiring to murder Mick Drury. And his indictment is read into the record. So so if Williams pleads guilty to conspiring with Roger Caleb Rogerson and Christopher Dale Flannery to murder Mick Drury. Williams gets 14 years and dies in jail, actually, from, uh, I believe, liver cancer uh, that he'd sort of uh, come across or developed uh, through IV drug use. Yeah, yeah, from hepatitis and IV drug use. That's right. So, So Williams dies and Rogerson is charged after that information becomes public. The task force was known as Operation Omega. Uh, it included people, <clears throat> very senior, very fine police officers. And very few that existed at the time. Yeah, well, it was it was a changing time. It was a changing time in New South Wales police, particularly special squad uh, level. And um, and um, uh, there were some some people very very keen to get get hold of him. But Rogerson yeah. is charged uh, with attempted murder of with the attempted murder of Mick Drury. The bribery matter of which he was acquitted is is deemed inadmissible, so it can't oh. be presented to a jury. And so it's yeah. really just Alan Williams' word against Roger Rogerson. And by this yeah. stage, Rogerson's out of the police force. He's been he's been punted out. Um, um, but but For nevertheless, behaviour or something. Yeah, but well, look, he'd been punted out for suspicion of involvement in a lot of matters, particularly in relation to Nettie Smith, um, robberies, involvement in drugs, etc. Uh, and uh, Commissioner John Avery basically decided he wanted Rogerson out, and Rogerson was Just forced out. Yeah, yeah, disgraceful detective. But at the same time, he has a, a higher reputation than Williams, and gets off. He's actually acquitted of the murder or the attempted murder of Mick Drury. Yeah. And that, for a while, is the end of Rogers, Rogerson. Certainly, in, in his you know his heyday of power as a police officer, but that power, that badge, has been taken away from him. Um, he, in the interim, goes to jail on two occasions. One, the first time for uh, pervert the course of justice in relation to black money that he was uh, banking uh, under false um, under false names. Um, and the second one was lying to the ICAC in relation to uh, corrupt arrangements uh, that he had made with um, with uh, a local government 
uh, local government purchasing officer. By this stage, Rogerson is running a scaffolding business, um, which keeps him in the loop. I mean, scaffolding business, there's a lot of extortion rackets related to scaffolding. Um, it sounds so innocent, just like it, scaffolding. It, it's, it's basically standover stuff, you know. Ridiculous. You, you want scaffolding for your for your major building project, we'll pay for it. I mean, and, and indeed, some of the big construction companies would see their scaffolding disappear. Um, yeah, okay. and then be then there'd be a new business rise up. So we'll supply you, we'll supply all your scaffolding. All your <laughs> it looks scaffolding a lot like then. yours. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh, gee, this looks familiar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Rogerson was involved in that. Uh, he's also involved in uh, sort of criminal work around around the around King's Cross in terms of collections. Uh, yeah. I mean, Rogers Rogerson is not like a, a traditional um, extortionist. He's not really all that terrifying. He's getting to be quite an old man by this stage. Yeah. He's not, he's not actually he's not all that terrifying um, in a sort of physic, physically imposing way. He's got a few injuries. He's not holding Well, that's back, a bit right? later when he falls off the shed that he's, you know, helping out, helping oh, a neighbour. Oh, yeah, that's and, right, yeah. And, bug, and, he, and he, he buggers his shoulder and then he buggers up his, his, his knee and so forth. So he's, the last time I saw him, he was hobbling around with all of that. But this is a little bit before that, and, and but he is getting old. But what yeah. I'm saying to you is that he, he wasn't physically um, imposing, but his yeah. reputation was so terrifying that, you know, yeah. if Roger Rogerson came knocking on your door asking for – asking for money that you owed or may not have owed some criminal contact in the cross, you want to make sure you paid it because Rogerson and murder go together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's about a million years old that I'm still, like, doing this going, God, I hope he never hears this. But he, he sort of, you know, like, like I say, he was involved in, certainly in the 80s, he was involved in sort of murder for hire business. And, and, and when we look at a lot of Flannery's crimes, we can basically put two and two together with Rogerson being involved there. The shooting of Mick Drury, if I just want to go back to that, there, there's some talk, and indeed Mick Drury himself, who survived the shooting, and I've had the opportunity to speak to him on a couple of occasions, Mick Drury believes that Rogerson was standing next to Flannery while Flannery fired a shot into, into his kitchen window, or two shots into his kitchen window and, and nearly killed him. Um the what what we know about his alibi over the jury matter is that he was Rogerson claimed that he was drinking at the Scots uh, club in Arncliffe with Chris Flannery. That's his alibi. Ah. That's his alibi for that for that particular event. That's there are others. There was a speak. there was a murder. There was a double murder in Mwilumbar that we mentioned in our two episodes ago in relation to Flannery. That was Terence Basham and Sue Smith. Uh, Rogerson was not far away in the background there. And as I mentioned before, Sally Ann Huckstep was murdered. Uh, Nettie Smith was tried and acquitted on his, on her murder. She was found in uh, Duck Pond at, um, at Centennial Park. Centennial Park, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and had been strung. That's sad. Had been strung. It was incredibly sad and completely unnecessary, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Smith was seen days afterwards with scratches on his face. Um, uh, that uh, Fiona, who, uh, sorry, sorry, not Sally Ann's uh, daughter Fiona, but Sally Ann herself was 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 certainly um, willing enough to fight back, uh, yeah. and that may explain the scratches. But again, Rogerson 
doesn't have an alibi or a very shaky alibi for the day Sally Ann Huckstep was murdered. But now as a police officer, ex-police officer, and he used to joke, you know, he used to joke that he'd get business cards um, uh, produced that, uh, that would say Roger Rogerson. <laughs> Um, disgraced former New South Wales detective. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's kind yeah, of yeah. how he was described all the time in the media. Yeah, um, he's been he's been jailed twice, as I say, uh, once for four years, another for 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 about eighteen months. Uh, <clears throat> but he's starting to sort of return to prominence, and his his notoriety is still there. But but people are starting to embrace him again, including former police. St- you know, they used to. There's a there's a group of them. I think they call them the Thirty Four Club, which uh, are all old detectives that used to meet. Uh, I think probably may may well still do in in Chinatown and CBD for a you know once a month sort of lunch. And Rogerson yeah. was never allowed was never invited to this. But then after a period of time, it was all sort of water under the bridge, and Rogerson starts emerging and. Uh, and uh, and being regarded by his former peers as a sort of an embarrassment, but they'll still uh, still still sit down and have a and have a, fried, ha- and have a fried rice and a and a, um, and, a and a sweet and sour pork with him. But um, yeah. yeah, but he's still involved in crime at that stage. He's also doing mad stuff to make a bit of money, and it tells you sort of how he viewed his own notoriety. He did the show with Chopper Reed and Mark Jackson called The Wild Colonial Psychos. Yeah. Pretty fucking ordinary night out, I tell you. Chopper Reed was off and off his face doing it and and he'd just come up with racist stuff and people would boo. And The only one who was actually <laughs> any sort of entertainment was, was Rogerson himself. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, of course, then, he, then his, his sort of ghosted – um, biography came out in 2009 at the Iron Duke Hotel, which is a fairly notorious pub back in the day, back in the Nettie Smith days. Uh, and it was launched by Alan Jones, broadcaster mm. Alan Jones, where Jones told, and I was there, Jones told an audience of ex-detectives, old villains and and a few, a few good guys, uh, that if only the cops of the day were more like Roger, the streets would be a lot safer. Oh, the good old days. The good old days. Good what on you, Jonesy. <laughs> Which must have been a little bit embarrassing for, for Jonesy later when Rogerson is arrested uh, for the murder of Jamie Gow. Yeah, um, like as if he has any self awareness at all. Yeah, yeah. So, you Fucking know, then we, then we come to the Gow murder and. The information is the the prevailing information is that that this was a sanctioned murder by Chinese triads. That the Chinese triads believe that Jamie Gao was an informer, and that they gave Gao two point seven five, I think two point seven eight kilograms of crystal meth. It's a lot, and uh, and they didn't much worry about getting it back after Gao was shot. So basically, that tells us that that's that's the payment for killing Jamie Gow, because they believe Jamie Gow was in touch with police, was assisting police with their inquiries in relation to uh, uh, Chinese triad crimes. My and friends. Rogerson and his then sidekick 
ironically, who, who called himself a corruption buster, Brad McNamara, huh. well, he'd come forward to the ABC and uh, years years earlier and said that he was, you know, one of the true white knights in, in King's Cross. He was a whistleblower in King's Cross. He wasn't a whistleblower at all, McNamara. At this stage, he, McNamara had left the police force and he was writing true crime books. Oh. There you go. And um, That's a jerk's game. So the... Gow was Gow was murdered in 2014. He was murdered in storage unit 803 in Padstone, and then we see a lot of this done on CCTV footage. We see we see McNamara and Gow go into the go into the storage unit. Then we see Rogerson arrive some short time afterwards, uh, and then McNamara emerged with a surf um, board cover bag. With clearly lumbering around a very heavy and very dead Jamie Gow. Yes, that's a very heavy surfboard yeah, you have there, big, sir. He was a young boy and he was a big lad, and so it would have been pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty hard for him to move him around. You know, these the McNamara was sort of well beyond middle age, and Rogerson was an old man by this stage. He really does have the the knee limp and the and the shoulder injury by now. Yeah, that uh, doesn't help. And so they take him. They take him uh, out. Out to a boat, uh, and um, and they dispose of the body. Still in the surfboard bed, they, they did attempt to weigh it down. The body was tied, um, and according to McNamara, in evidence he, he gave to court, Rogerson said to him, "Oh shit, I forgot to gut him." Yeah, which means basically get a knife and and cut cut uh, up through the sternum. And leave the body, leave the body like that, so it would be eaten by you know aquatic creatures and you know fish and what have you, sharks. Yeah, and, and so it won't bloat and float to the surface. To do that, and the day, and and the body was found. Uh, the body was uh, the body of Gow was found by um, a fishing trawler, um, and uh, within about three days, uh, and and police have been watching McNamara all the time. In fact, the story goes that McNamara walked into New South Wales. Crime Commission and said, oh, I'll give you I'll give you Roger Rogers and the Crime Commission said, Mate, we don't need your help. You just pop along. <laughs> you just pop along and, and we'll Ooh. see you soon. Oh, uh, that's not good. <laughs> so so uh, McNamara's arrested straight away. Here's the, here's the really, I mean, it's kind of darkly amusing thing, but Rogerson has gone up to the Gold Coast. There's a there's a boxing event. There's a sort of fundraiser for a boxer on the, on the Gold Coast. And there Rogerson, he, you know, he, he unfolds the card table, you know. He's selling Roger Rogerson books. Like merch. And yeah. <laughs> selling Roger Rogerson merch while, while, while McNamara's been arrested. And then Rogerson makes his way back. They were going to arrest him at the airport, and and, and basically was negotiated to be arrested at his own home. And yeah. um, and uh, there he was, shuffled off. There were some very keen New South Wales police officers, much 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 younger men, much more professional men, that were very very pleased to be arresting Roger Rogerson and charging yeah. him with uh, the murder and, and and the business of the supply. Um, the traffic of the two point seven eight kilograms of methamphetamine. Yeah, and we yep. know all about this because CCTV footage found Rogerson again going into a pub. This is before the murder of Gow. Uh, it's a pub in Hurstville in Sydney South, um, where a lot of ex-police used to gather. In fact, 
um, Billy Duff, we mentioned Bill Duff, who's the arresting officer of uh, Chris Flannery. Uh, Bill Duff drinks there, and a lot of ex-cops drink there. And Rogerson just started turning up there before the murder of uh, and often with other people who weren't police officers, uh, including <laughs> including some pretty heavy bikies. Uh, yeah. That he was trying to, and, and and it's clear that he was trying to knock off the gear to these guys because yeah, a lot of the cops are up. going, you know, why am I sitting here with the um, with the sergeant at arms of the Hell's Angels Motorcycle Club? I, that I'm, you know, you're yeah. making me a little uncomfortable here, right? And we yeah. see all this on CCTV, CCTV footage. Uh, both McNamara and Rogerson go to that pub. It's so, the thing they didn't expect to see. Well, they ran the old thing, and God only knows what legal advice they had. They probably had the very best that they could get. Um, but the, the defence, McNamara and Rogerson's defence, was a time-honoured one of blaming the other one, blaming blaming yeah. the other man. And uh, and so that's how it how it worked. But really this it had no chance of success because it was determined, and in fact it was part of the charges, that Rogerson and McNamara had engaged <clears throat> in a criminal and a joint criminal enterprise, and so it did not matter who fired the shot at Gow. We can only guess whether it was Rogerson or McNamara, but because yeah. the man was murdered in the uh, in, in the process of this criminal enterprise that McNamara and Rogerson cooked up, they were both convicted of the murder. They were both convicted yeah. of the of the drug trafficking, and they were both sentenced to long periods in jail, long enough to see them both off. Yeah, didn't they point the finger at each other and say, "No, it was him"? That's no, it, it was that's, him. That's what they tried to do. I mean, that, that that's very funny. <laughs> that defence has gone to the high court, not in this case, but in other cases. That that, that he he said he said the defence. It basically gone to the High Court and, and been rolled over, you know, the, yeah. the business of a joint criminal enterprise basically overpowers it. You know, the- it can actually work though, because what you've got is uh, when I did, jury, did jury duty, basically it was which junkie is lying the least here. Yeah. And I realized in retrospection, it's quite likely they all got together and realized what they'll do is they'll tell wildly different stories, and the jury will just have to sit there and go, "Well, you're all fucking lying, aren't you?" Yeah, and that but was under, it. under a joint criminal enterprise prosecution, which this was, I mean, I, I, yeah. I had a similar conversation with a senior copper in Queensland, a good cop. And um and 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 he said, oh, they'll both get off because they'll both blame each other. But under a joint criminal no. enterprise prosecution, whatever yeah. takes place, they're both equally guilty for. And so yeah. they're convicted. And I think I was one of many hundreds of thousands of people who watched the live sentencing of Rogerson and McNamara. Another yeah. man who was who was watching it was was Mick Drury, and I know that for a fact that, that yep. Mick, Mick was there, and he'd always said to Rogerson, I'll forgive you if you tell the truth, but Rogerson was incapable of telling the truth. So yep. he is their number one man. And yep. one of the arguments around Rogerson is that he was a creature, a, a product of a systemically corrupt uh Police force that 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 really, you know, the, the the corruption was the thing that that made Rogerson into this murderous monster, re- responsible yep. for many many murders. Um, and there's a certain truth to that, but it but you're kind of missing the point. You're missing the point with Roger Rogerson. It's not that he was lured to the dark side. Yep. Roger Rogerson is the dark side. 
Correct. Ooh, what an absolute cunt of a person. <laughs> Fucking hell. Well, look, they don't make them like Rogerson anymore and we are probably better for it. Yeah. I mean, they do, however, make them differently. <laughs> and, well, maybe not for the best. I mean, for every vicious criminal that plagued the last century, as we just counted down, we replace them with roving idiots of public uselessness from rich families that just kind of bumble around doing nothing in particular <laughs> and seem to get a lot of attention doing it. It's, I think it's time to check in on the man that Fortune magazine described as a perfect example of why capitalism is flawless in every single way. It's Eric Trump. The poor bastard would give it all up for a hug, though, because mm. he's like a, a bastard, bastard on, on Father's Day. Troubling news for Eric Trump fans this week. Eric Trump is dead. That's right. The idiot failed son of the 45th president of the United States and good-looking boy has left this mortal coil. Aww. Well, he's technically not dead. Disappointingly, his heart not is what? still beating, but he's dead to me, listeners, and he should be dead to you too. Let's face it, we've all spent too much time on Eric Trump, the only man in the world to take the largest vineyard in Virginia. And there are many vineyards there, Joel. He's turned the largest one into a winery that produces, and I quote, grape jelly with ethanol <laughs> chucked in. A walking clusterfuck of a human being, Eric Trump should be roundly ignored by all thinking global citizens, a man who is the perfect representation of the saying it takes three generations. The first makes it, the second builds it, the third pisses it up against the wall on trinkets, skin creams and costly so-called miracle cures for Eric's yeah. imbatago, which was once described by Professor of Dermatology at John Hopkins, Pierce Johnson, as... Please don't like me. Look at it again. Ooh, PTS, dude. The idea that he would take up any more time in my brain and in yours, listeners, makes me feel physically ill and coincidentally, and I think it's just a coincidence, it could be an irony, but I hope it's just a coincidence, has had me breaking out in weeping sores around my own groin. Empathetic. But I'm not taking any chances, listeners, so Eric can fuck right off. Get the fuck out, Eric. Get out the fuck. See ya. The truth is Eric Trump and his siblings are part of a political and social cancer infecting the US and by extension the world who keep us slightly a tremble at the sorts of whoops apocalypse moments. One of Eric's ass bubbled ideas might trigger if the American population ever thought to let him anywhere near real power again. Yeah. Not that that's likely, listeners. Sensible Americans have taken a long, hard look at the Trump family and have something special lined up for them. A national shaming before a round of criminal convictions with a lot of them shuffled off to the newly built Trump wing of Leavenworth Prison. It's very nice, <laughs> by the way. Shops, a country club, 18-hole golf course, plenty of parking. But then I digress. If there is an irony, it is that the cancer that Eric and his Trump next-gen stumble-fuck siblings might have been cured if Eric didn't rip off that cancer charity. Yeah, Eric, be bad. gone, you genetic throwback of a plucked marmoset. Be fucking gone. See ya. And that is the final Eric Trump like a busted on Father's Day segment for the program. Never to be seen or heard of again. But we can't worry about that now. We can't worry about the sorts of violent, karmic retribution that has headed Eric Trump's way. <laughs> we can't allow ourselves the luxury of thinking of that brain-dead streak of shit and the filth-encrusted underpants of America's cultural failures for even a nanosecond, because now it's time for this. A time to celebrate. 
to gather as one, hold hands and sing praises to the prophets, to dance with joy and make a huge noise in the back of your throat. <laughs> and then sit down and sit down. Shuffling with a little embarrassment at the fucking goose you've just made of yourself and listen to the week <laughs> in Pete Evans. That was a very strong introduction. Well, all right, listeners, it's been a week. It's not a big week. It's just another seven days of Pete shoveling shit into the mouths of his followers. It's just more of the same. Mm. Anti-vax nonsense, hysterical, fear-mongering, baseless conspiracy theories. It's just the usual shit, really. Mm. One thing Pete has learned recently is that you don't have to only share things from within Telegram. How they get there, he doesn't know. You can actually (laughs) upload things from other sources. So He's learning. It's it. He's like he's learned how to save images and then upload them, uh, which what is a, a huge guy. breakthrough for him, yeah. IT wise. Um, but as a result, Pete's repertoire of posting has really expanded, which is uh, this is good. Uh, it's good. Good. News. I, I don't know. God <laughs> fucking help me if he knows how to use Microsoft Paint ever. This week, after his <laughs> long-held inv- invitation to Parliament, which is just going to make him walk right the fuck in, he's you in. Know, he's in. Yeah, his PDF that, that attached to an email. He's decided <laughs> to show how he really feels about his new mates in Canberra in a Telegram post that described the Australian government as sick pedo clowns. Oh, now, that's not very nice, that's mate. That's not nice. That's not how you make friends. <laughs> no one's going to sit with you at Aussies when you're invited <laughs> into the fucking Senate. Cool, everyone, so pedos. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just not how it works. I mean, maybe it does. You know, like you go into prison, you punch the biggest guy and everyone loves you. I don't know. It's weird. It highlights how much this narcissistic puddle of a human being is just going <laughs> to absolutely flunk the basic people skills required in Parliament. And while this barefooted fuckwit will be roaming the halls looking for captured children in fucking cupboards, people will be wondering his thoughts on, say, the mid-year economic and fiscal outlook. And I'm going to give you a fucking tip. He doesn't have any he, thoughts he on can't- he can't even spell fiscal. He thinks he doesn't he, know what fiat currency is. He thinks, he thinks it's got a Q in it. It's just not. It's just not going to happen. So it looks like Pete has retracted his statement, realizing that calling his uh, potential new workmates <sighs> sick pedo clowns may have been seen in a negative light. Yeah. He deleted that. Bit sorry, of the post. guys. <laughs> sorry, you know. sorry, sorry, government for calling you all pedos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I just wasn't thinking straight at the time, uh, you know, again. So old Pete loves the backstep, probably denies he ever said it because, you know, he lives his own truth. Uh, and that's we got fine. the screenshots, I mean, Pete. We got the yeah. screenshots. Oh, no, nah, mate, they're edited by the deep state. You've, you're all photoshopped. <laughs> you're all holograms, body clones, fucking ridiculous. So listeners, look. I am sick and fucking tired of Pete's lack of shenanigans. Mm. We are getting up to an election year. Start getting weird, mm. you fucking idiot. You're running for the Senate. Yeah. No one cares about you unless you Come piss on. us off. Come on, Like, mate. just get on with it. Make you a know, fucking Do noise. some stunts. You've lost my vote. So calling people sick photo clowns just isn't enough. No. While he is doing his best to poison the brains of as many people as he can, just like any good cult leader, I feel like he's just holed away in his Yukai compound <laughs> waiting for his invitation to the Senate to come good. You've got a campaign, Pete. And yeah. anytime you campaign, you're going to do something fucking stupid. And we are going to absolutely bathe in it. Until then, yeah. oh, mate, this segment, I'm just going to have to pick a part at you. I'm just kind yeah. of like it's not as fun. I, w- I want Be you to do dumb toes, shit. Pete. 
<laughs> so in the meantime, he is spreaking some pretty ridiculous shit on his website. I mean, Grifter's going to quit. So if this lunatic doesn't do anything spectacular this coming week, and I'm hoping he does, we will have a look at the Pete Evans woo range of overpriced trash he flogged on his website. But in the meantime, <laughs> I am going to pray to baby Hitler that he posts another Nazi meme. Come on, Pete. <laughs> tell us about the real history of Germany. You've got nothing left to lose. Uh, you have been listening to the Conditional Rose Program with your host, Jack the Insider and Joel Hill. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. And if you've enjoyed our bullshit, throw us a five-star review on your podcast app. Jack can be found on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with a K. We've set up a Facebook page and we've set up a shitposting group, Conditional Release Program shitposting group. You can find these things by searching for them and just it'll be fun. Come on there, say Come hello. Come along and now- join us. Call to action, promoting a podcast is easier said than done. Honestly, it's a fucking pain in the ass. We look stupid doing it. But if you share the episode, it's like an endorsement from a mate. We're down with that. Please share the episode. Tell your friends. Harass them over dinner. Uh, you know, be the annoying uncle. Get weird about it. Just please get us out there because, you know, we love when we get new hearts and minds. Because, you know, we're trying to start a cult. It's just really hard to do on this side of politics. <laughs> Only if you like us, of course. Uh, if you don't. Yeah, you of, know, of, obviously, course, of course. Obviously, of course. brush us. And finally, yes. all feedback, tips, and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com we would love to hear from you even if it's just you coming up to tell us that roger rogerson has got his appeal <laughs> has won his appeal <laughs> and he's out looking for you and me and joe all put together uh, no. oh my god can we not can we please not and last but not least i just want to extend a huge hug to loyal listener and good friend candace who's having a fuck head of a week yeah you're a good friend of mine a good friend of the podcast thank You've you been listening from the very start i love your quote saying that we are the best part about mondays and then later in a sadder instance the only good part about mondays that was oh, that was a good pull quote no, i thought it was great i hope mondays you feel better too. soon mate <clears throat> it's a it's a it's a big it's a it's a shit of a week but it's gonna get better and look at least you're not jamie gow right i mean look on the bright mm. side of Could be worse. I don't know. thanks <laughs> listeners Thanks, guys. See you later. Next week. Bye.